Father, we're thankful that you have revealed yourself in your holy scriptures to us. And you've supremely shown who you are in the person of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And your spirit testifies to the fact that he is God. And he, in our hearts, testifies to the fact that we are your children. And we ask for your help. Spirit, open our eyes. Help us to behold wondrous things in your word so that we would leave changed people impacted by your word that has a powerful, transforming work in our lives so that we would leave looking like our Savior, Jesus Christ, loving what he loves and doing what he would do. Thank you for everything you've given us. In your name we pray. Amen. So growing up, my siblings and I would often love eating out. And we'd go around and we would go on a shopping trip and on our way home, we're hungry because we saw all this food in the store and we wanted some food. And so as we came home, we'd pass by the local McDonald's. And in our mind, we're like, oh, let's get some McDonald's. And so we'd go, mom, mom, can we stop? And can we get some McDonald's? Can we get a burger? Can we get a fries? Fresh fries, a burger that's probably not as much burger as it is bun, but can we get a burger, mom? And mom would always say her classic quote, we have food at home. That was the most disappointing thing you could hear as a child. I know, Mom, we have food at home, and I love the food at home, and I like your food, Mom. But McDonald's sounds wonderful. And we always wanted something else that was different. We wanted something new, something fresh. And we had food at home, and we had great food at home. And Mom was, is an excellent cook, and she still is today. And in fact, it's her birthday today, too. And she's a wonderful, wonderful mother. And we look forward to calling her later today and just telling her that. But we have food at home. In the Christian life, don't we at times want more sometimes? We wish there was something else. We just look for another spiritual snack that might get us by. Something that might just get us through. We want something more. And maybe we're looking for some spiritual tip for our next experience with God. Maybe we grab the next self-help book to kick that sin habit that we just can't get out of the way. And this book might provide the secret to getting rid of that sin that we've always struggled with. Maybe that personality test we took that is the latest and greatest of personality tests will finally help me to understand who I am and why I'm the way I am. I can finally figure out why I tick and what makes me who I am. And that will give me the insight to become the person I want to be. You see, there's all sorts of things that would tempt us to look everywhere else and that we would find something that would sustain us, something that would help us in our spiritual walk. And yet God has given to us everything in the person of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Who Christ is and who He is as in His person and in His work and what He's accomplished for us has made Jesus the supreme pinnacle of everything that we need. He is supreme and He's sufficient. And He has given everything that we need to grow in Christ. And, and if we could summarize this text in one word, I know it's a larger text, but if we could summarize it up in one sentence, it's something like this. And that God is calling you and I to grow in maturity in Christ. God wants us to be built up and strengthened in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ and what He's done because He wants us to grow up in Him. You see, Jesus has everything we need in order to know God, to love God, and to obey God. We have everything we need. We don't need to go searching for something more. And everything we need for the Christian life is found in Him. 
And God calls us to grow in that, to grow up into this maturity in Christ, looking forward to to the day, as we read in our call to worship, where we will be with Christ. And when Christ our life appears, then we will appear with him in glory. And to that day, we, we long for and we look for that. But in the meantime, we continue to grow and unpack the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this text today, I think what Paul gives us is two ways that we can grow in Christ. Two things that are given to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ that cause us to grow up in maturity in Him. And so this first provision, this first way that's offered to us is this. And it's that we can grow as we ponder the glorious hope of our risen Savior living in us. We grow as we think and reflect upon the hope of Christ in us as people. And God has made known the mystery of the gospel that was once unknown, but is now available to all people. So look at the text here in verse 24. Paul's actually moving in from the context here. In the previous passage, he's unpacked Christ as our creator, the one who's made all things and has created everything. He's unpacked Christ as our Savior, the one who's the head of the church, ruling over all things. And he's unpacked and shown us who Christ is as our sustainer, the one who strengthens us to walk and stand firm in the gospel. And in verse 23, in the context, he gives this admonition, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so Paul begins transitioning from this gospel he tells them to stand firm in, and he starts to go in to explain his ministry. I've become an apostle for this gospel that you must stand firm in. And I want you to understand my heart. He, that's what he wants us to understand, his heart for his ministry and what God has stewarded to him for the gospel. And so into verse 24, which is our text, we open up and we see in these verse two verses, Paul explaining the mystery of the gospel. He says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, the Colossians, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you, that's the Colossians again, to fulfill the word of God. See, Paul recognizes that he's received a divine stewardship from God. God has used Paul and appointed Paul as an apostle to the Gentiles. And an apostle is simply just a messenger, one who heralds a message and brings the gospel, brings a news to people. And Paul has been chosen by God specifically to testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he does it specifically to the Gentile nations that are around him. But he starts off with a surprising statement where he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. See, Paul starts off by noting what a divine privilege it is to praise God and what a divine privilege it is to carry the gospel to people. And Paul at times encountered suffering for the gospel of Christ. He found himself facing all sorts of difficulty, shipwreck, persecutions, whippings, all sorts of things Paul endured for the sake of the gospel. And he comes and he looks at this and in light of this divine stewardship he has, he says, it's a joy to share the gospel and to minister it for your sake. He's filling up in his flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Not that Paul could add something to the atonement of Christ. That's not what Paul's thinking here. Paul's saying, 
as Christ's representative, I'm suffering on his behalf for his message. And as it goes forward through the world, he himself is coming and noting that I suffer for the sake of Christ as I share his gospel. And not only am I facing Christ's sufferings, even my sufferings are for you guys, the church. The body of Christ faces suffering at times for the furtherance of the gospel. But Paul steps back and says, in light of this gospel that's been given to me, this stewardship that was given to me for you, it's a wonderful privilege to suffer and labor for the sake of God and His gospel. And so this stewardship he has is a divine one. And as he explains this stewardship, he comes and in verse 26, he starts to tell us what the stewardship is. In verse 26, he says, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so Paul moves on to explain, what is this stewardship? What has God given me on behalf of the church? What am I delivering to you as an apostle, as a divine messenger? What am I bringing? And Paul stops and he says, it's this mystery. It once was hidden. It was alluded to in the Old Testament. We saw hints and glimpses of it through the prophets, but we didn't know in full what it is. And now that Christ has come, we have found that this mystery has been revealed to his saints. And he continues to build, and he says, These saints, you, the church, God has willed to make known this mystery that's been hidden for thousands of years and has been brought into existence. And we now understand what it is. And he goes... And he says it's this, simply this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This magnificent truth which Paul builds to is the center of his thought here. Everything he's building around as his ministry as an apostle is for the fact that he wants to make Christ known, but that, that Christ is known in his church. In you and in I, Jesus Christ dwells. And that's a wonderful, amazing privilege that we must plumb the depths of in order to understand our responsibility to grow in Christ. You see, look at the language that Paul uses to describe this truth. He calls it the riches. He calls it glorious. He calls it a mystery. He calls it a hope, and all in verse 27. And this is Christ. We have a wonderful wealth of knowledge given to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ and what He has done. And God has taken that wonderful Savior, the one in the context, whose Creator, whose Redeemer, whose Sustainer, and He's in you. He's taken the Christ that's been explained in these previous verses, the one whom we were all enemies once before and shook our fist at Him, who've now been reconciled by what Jesus has done. That God is in us. And He lives inside of us. And He reigns and rules in our hearts and one day will return to reign and rule in His world and establish His kingdom forevermore. But we get a taste. We get a divine foretaste of seeing our Savior. And we know He lives and indwells our hearts. And He longs and He makes us long for the hope of His glory. This is the truth that Paul has been entrusted with. 
That's the truth he's been given to go steward and share with the people that he's been entrusted with. He was given that to go bring it to the Gentiles to make known the glories of this ministry, of this mystery that's been given to him. And now he has the responsibility to do that to the Colossians. And he shares this with him. He shares this truth with them and his heart for his ministry because he wants them to know they need to grow in maturity. Look at verses 28 and 29. He says, Him, that is Christ, we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to His working, which He works in me mightily. See, Paul recognizes then this Christ that's been revealed, it's Him I preach. Notice Paul doesn't say, I preach a specific message. I preach a specific theological system. I preach a certain denomination. Those things are collected from Scripture and are important. But look at what Paul proclaims. Him. He proclaims a person. Jesus Christ, our Savior. The one who lives in us. And he proclaims that Jesus, because he is worthy of that as creator, redeemer, sustainer. And so he receives the praise, honor, and glory. And as he preaches that Jesus, as he preaches who he is, look how he does it. He warns every man. This is the word for admonishment. It's to call to correct behavior and action. He comes alongside and he corrects people from deviations in their walk with God as they veer off on different paths and he brings them back into walking with Christ. Teaching every man. He's giving knowledge and understanding of who God is and imparting that to someone else. Paul here proclaims Christ through his correction and through his teaching with the goal, look at the end of verse 28, that we may present every man perfect in Christ. His whole goal in proclaiming Christ is that believers would be built up to maturity in Christ. The similar word for present in verse 28 is actually used back in the context in verse 22. And it kind of gives us an idea of what this maturity looks like. Here it's speaking of Jesus in verse 22. He says, In the body of His flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, above reproach in His sight. You see, what God wants in our life is more Christ-likeness. What God wants us to be like ultimately is, as we understand who God is, we become like God in the way we live. We reflect Jesus Christ to those around us as we grow in understanding the person of Christ. The way to maturity in the Christian life, there's no secrets There's no secret sauce to understanding how we grow. There's no special truth that God gives us to the spiritually mature and elite. It's the same truth that's been there for thousands of years in the church, and it's still here today. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so we must proclaim Him, but we also must learn of Him, and we must seek Him. And Paul explains this in verse 29. He says, I labor for this. That's where we get the word agony from. He's agonizing over these mature, the maturing of these believers. He's agonizing. He wants them. He's laboring and striving according to the working of God in him. God's power persuades and it captures Paul's attention so that he would proclaim Christ to those around him. 
And this beautiful truth of Christ in us is the truth of how we grow in the Lord. It's how we grow in Christ. It's coming back to understand Jesus and who He is and that He lives in us. There's a book I read a while back that kind of explained different views of the Christian life. And I'm a visual guy. Sometimes seeing things helps me understand things. And I, I, I use this book, and I, I don't agree with everything in the book, but the illustration was helpful. And so I, I put that up on the screen for us to try to explain the different ways we could view the Christian life, different ways that we tend to view it, that, and, and understanding these can help us identify where we sometimes get off course in our growth with God. Sometimes we think that growth is like this. It's God, then me. We think that God is the one who saves us. He converts us and brings us into relationship with Him. But then after that, He kind of leaves us off to the side. And He's like, all right, figure it out, Joe. You figure out the Christian life. You do it in your own strength. Grit, grit your teeth. Clench your fists. And just press on and try your hardest. Discipline yourself. Work hard. Sometimes we think the Christian life is like that. Other times, we, we maybe get the flip side of that, and we think it's the other way around. It's all God, and I don't have anything to do with it. I think that I don't do anything. I just simply sit back and enjoy life, and I trust that God's sovereign work in my life is going to make me more mature. And there's, there's a truth to that. God is working in us, and He is powerful. He, Paul admits it right here. But there's also responsibility that is placed upon us. We are given commands in Scripture to obey. And so then sometimes maybe we end up with this one. God plus me. So God gives 50%, but then I give 50%. So I add a little bit, and God adds a little bit, and it kind of works out, and together we, we work together to make me more like Christ. But the reality is, and you see this coming, is that Christian growth looks like this. God in me. And that's what, that's what Paul is explaining here. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's because you and I have been so united with Christ that everything that Christ has in His person and work is connected with you and I. We have his righteousness. We have his wisdom. We have his sanctification. And those are all wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ and put in our lives so that everything Jesus has, we have too because we are his sons and we are his daughters. And we have the privilege of being able to have access to all those riches, not on our merit, but on the merit of Jesus Christ. And by faith in him, we have that. And so what does that call us to do? Well, in light of that, we got to ponder this glorious hope. we got to just reflect on the fact that God's in us and how amazing that is and everything that Jesus has is given to us in Him. And just think about the fact that the Creator of the universe and then the one we rebelled against and came and saved us by dying for us, just ponder the fact that He lives in us. Like, that's amazing. That's our God. He's glorious. And yet He chooses to dwell in His creature that He made. But also, it's a great reminder, too, that we need to heed the word that is taught to us. Paul, verse 28, Him we preach. God has put people in our lives for our edification. And in our lives, our most important one is our pastor. Our beloved pastor brings the word to us every week, and it's him that we, we hear from through the word of God. And we understand and we know Christ through his ministry. But God's given us plenty of teachers, God has given us parents. God has given us a variety of authorities that, he, that we need to heed as they proclaim Christ to us. 
But also in those positions of authority, we have the responsibility to show Christ and proclaim Him. And so we must even proclaim Him as we ponder He lives in us. And, and ultimately, we got to step back and recognize that that's a discipleship text. That God has given us here a divine mandate to go and make disciples. And for Paul, he just puts this in his own language. We proclaim Christ and we make every man mature in Christ because we want Christ to be exalted. And so can I even ask, who are you sharing Christ with? Who are you discipling in their Christian walk? Who are you helping them to understand the riches and the depth of your Savior? We all have that privilege and responsibility. And we must go and we must share Christ. But we'll only do so as we ponder the hope of Christ in us. So we ponder this hope. And that's one way we grow. There's another way we grow that I think Paul gives us in the last half of our text. And that's this. And that we can grow as we recognize God's great wealth that's given to you and I. The great wealth in Jesus Christ has been given to us so that we might grow. If you look at this in verse, verse 1 and through 3, we see the description of wealth here. And as I read these three verses, listen to all the language of finances. Listen, listen for the language of riches and treasure and wealth. He says here in verse 1, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for, for you and those in Laodicea, and for all as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, Paul is using this language to help us understand that Jesus has great wealth, and we have been given that wealth in him. You see, as he unpacks this, he again shares his heart. I have this agony. I have this conflict in my soul for you and for those in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face. He says, I care about you guys, the Colossians, but I also care about that church down the street, the Laodiceans. And then I really just am really concerned about everyone who doesn't even know me, that they would know Christ. He knows this great, great wealth. He knows these riches. And he says, I want them to know. I want them to know what they have. Verse 2, what does he want? That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. See, Paul steps back and he goes, you know what I want them to have? I want them to understand the riches that they have in Jesus Christ. I want them to know everything that is in the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done. And I want them to be so caught up in that that they're knit together in Christ, in this love, and attaining to this full understanding. I want them to grasp what God has given them. And this knowledge of the mystery of Christ is what he desires them to know. He wants them to know Christ. Again, earlier, as he summarized his ministry in that one phrase, Christ in you, he comes here and he says, to the knowledge of the mystery of Jesus Christ. He's the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And later, as we read in our call to worship, Colossians 3, our life is hidden in Christ and God. In verse 3, we have this language of hidden again. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. You and I have life 
righteousness, sanctification, and wisdom all wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. And He's given to us to know. And Paul desires that these believers would know Him. And now we get to the heart of Paul's pastoral concern in verse 4. And here he, he changes his tone and he says this, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order in the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. See, Paul's heart for these believers is that they would know the riches of Christ so that they would not be deceived by other ways to live the Christian life. He doesn't want them to wander off into deadly heresy. And he doesn't want them to wander off into difficult things that add burdens to the Christian life that shouldn't be there. We don't know the full nature of everything that the Colossians were facing. We don't know exactly what heresy and what deceivers were there in the church. But likely it was some form of legalism where they put extra demands on the believers and said you had to observe Sabbaths, you had to observe certain foods, and you can't eat certain foods. They were mostly Jewish legalists who had crept into the church. But there's even maybe an option that even Greek philosophy was distracting these people and pulling them away from thinking about Christ to thinking about these abstract truths and ideals that had no edification for growth in Christ. And what Paul says is, I want you to know, I want you to know these things because I don't want you to wander away. And for us today, maybe it's not Greek philosophy and Jewish legalism that's pulling us away, but there's plenty of things that could pull us away in our society. Sometimes we get fascinated with just the ability of discipline. We think that if I just try hard enough, I can make myself better. And God does call us to discipline. He tells Timothy, discipline yourself unto godliness. That is, that is a fact. But it's disciplined, not powered by our effort, but discipline powered by Christ in us. There's, there's an aspect in which maybe even we get distracted with even Christian, Christian truths that are displayed in different ways. And maybe we even see the aspect of people with, we go look at self-help books that don't exalt Christ. Maybe it's those personality tests that we try to understand how we operate and who, and, and who we are. And maybe it's experientialism. We're trying to find some experience with God, that mystical experience. And, and none of those things, none of those things will complete us in Christ. What will complete us in Christ is simply knowing Christ and that He lives in us and that is sufficient and that is enough. You may have heard how the Secret Service identifies counterfeit money. They don't know every single flavor or style of counterfeit money. They don't go around and make sure they can identify every counterfeit source. They simply just make sure that they know what the good stuff is. They know what the right stuff is because they interact with it. They touch it. They feel it. They smell it. I don't know if they taste it, but they certainly know it inside and out. And they know what real money is. So that when they grab a bill, they just simply touch it and they feel something's not right here. And God wants us to understand our riches in Christ to the extent that when we hear something that doesn't bring glory to our Savior, when we hear something that seems to promote me more than it promotes Christ, 
that we start to get suspicious. And we go, no, Christ is in Him. I have all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the supreme one, the one who is to be worshipped and exalted. And I don't think that that's pointing to Christ. This seems like it's exalting man. It's that kind of, God wants us to be so tuned in to understanding what we have in Jesus that we see that. And we got to step back and just recognize that God assures us. Wow, we have this full assurance of all this knowledge, all this completeness in Christ. And God calls us not only to know that ourselves, but to go around and in that language, knit together in love. God wants us as a church to come around and encourage one another and bring each other together to understanding that full assurance. Our growth in knowing Christ is not an individual racetrack that we are all zooming down the road on. Our growth in Christ is as a body of Christ. And as you and I and we together pursue knowing Christ, we help each other see and know Christ. And we encourage each other with our riches we have in Jesus. And I would be amiss today to say that if you, that if you don't know this Christ, if you're hearing this and you're recognizing that I'm in poverty spiritually, like I don't have the riches of Christ that you're talking about, I don't know, I don't have this relationship, then I would invite you to receive by faith Jesus Christ, your Savior. He has lived, died, and rose to defeat the penalty of sin in your life and the power of sin in your life so that you might have eternal life forevermore with Him. And if you have not come to know Christ, would you make today the day you come to know Jesus, your Savior, and receive the riches and the glory of knowing Christ, our Savior? I heard this story once, and I'm not sure if it's true or not, so I'm going to say it's not true. You've seen these before, and if you traveled across North Dakota, you could see these, not to this extent, but you could see quite a bit of, of oil, oil pumps across the state. Or even if you go down to Texas, too, and down south, you see a lot of this. The story goes something like this. There's a man who owned a lot of acreage, and he didn't know, he didn't know that he had things underneath there. And he owned this land forever, and one day he's walking out, surveying his land and checking it out, and he finds some goop that's bubbling up under bushes. And he looks at it, and he's like, this is, this is fascinating. He realizes that it's oil. I have oil. And so he steps back, and he, he goes, and he, he's owned this property for like 30 years, but he gets out, and he calls someone, and he gets, he gets a whole operation going, and pretty soon he's got a whole oil industry going on his property that he had no idea he had. And he becomes rich in a matter of weeks as he invests his money in this and plums the depth of the riches that he has in this field. And so my question for you is, when did that man become rich? Was it when he discovered what he had? Or was, it, was he rich all along? And he simply just discovered that he was rich already to begin with. We are rich in Christ we have all treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Him. And we're simply on a journey to understand more and more the riches we already have. And we're there discovering on a daily basis who Christ is and what He's done. And so my exhortation to us is this. Will you pursue knowing Christ your Savior this week to know the riches you have in Him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness towards us, and thank you for this passage that reminds us of the depth of riches we have in Jesus. Help us to know that all the more. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.